friends. Welcome to the bonus episode. Welcome to the bonus episode. It's the first bonus episode of the rest of your life. We are here with Winston McCall, <laughs> Sosefia Mole, and me, Mikey Carl. Loving life because we're all chatting. It's three-way therapy at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talking to you from Melbourne, from Nam. Uh, I read a great thing yesterday saying, um, oh, God, I'm going to get it right. Oh, I want to say it right, my friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't misquote, though. It's going to be worth this mis- yeah, misquote. Yeah, don't, don't, don't fuck it up now. Don't fuck it up. No pressure. No chance, darling. Uh-huh. So Melbourne holds the world record for protecting humankind. Now, that's somewhere I'd like to live. <laughs> wow. Wow. Anyway, wow. we can spin this lockdown. Wow. Anyway, we can spin this lockdown. Damn, 260 plus good days. Spin. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> straight up, straight up. Oh man, I, lo- I love it so much. I can't leave. You know, I love yeah. it so much. I can't <laughs> fucking leave. Yeah. <laughs> so it needs to get back to Adelaide or get back to anywhere. Eve? We will just anywhere, yeah. anywhere. Crow Castle. <laughs> Winston, take us back to the earliest moment in your life where you listened to a piece of music. Maybe you saw a clip on Rage. Who knows? And it really, really affected you, and, and why it affected you, and where you were, and everything went on that day. I think the earliest memories I actually have are of music rather than anything visual. Like my parents, like I was basically brought up on like Bob Marley, the Beatles and probably like Pink Floyd or something like that or the Who. But, but mainly Bob Marley to be honest. Like the, my, mm. my earliest memories are of my parents playing Bob Marley to me. And Snap. the thing that like dad had a massive awesome reggae collection and the thing that like this was back in the days of vinyl. So what like my favorite thing was pulling out the records and looking at the cover art because I guess like when you're two years old or something, the cover art's literally the size of you and they're these amazing hmm. like but like heaps of the like the reggae sleeves were incredibly colorful, like Rastafarian colors. And yeah, it was, basically it was just that was what was drilled into me very early on. And the melodies are really nice and it's really don't worry, like it could basically be a kid's nursery rhyme if you wanted to. Yeah. Mm. That's that's it. So that's kind of where I where I came from in terms of sound. And it continues through like to this day in terms of me still appreciating his record collection and me still he still has those records where I can pull them out and go, Far out, I can remember this. Like I can remember lying on the on the floor of our little apartment and you spinning on, letting me like put the needle on and um me like looking at the cardboard cover and stuff like that. So yeah. That's cool. Do you still go back and listen to to reggae now? Um, yeah, like no, I'm not going to say I'm like a massive reggae head in that term, in, but I appreciate it. Like it's in, it's a very difficult form of music to actually create quality reggae. Realizing what the Whalers and Bob Marley had, and people like Peter Tosh and stuff, like to create really good good reggae takes a hell of a lot of skill. And once I became an actual artist, I've found myself appreciating it even more. To be able to, to to hit those grooves and keep it tight, but at the same time, like keep a laid back feeling and stuff, and especially the bass players, it's it's damn hard. So yeah, I, I gained respect yeah. for it once I actually learned what music was and what it took to create. Mm. There was a band called White Men Can't Reggae, which I used to see as an eighteen year old at the Hallam Hotel in in Melbourne. <laughs> See them at various different uh, places. The things you do when you're 18. Yeah. What? What? Uh, have you had any sort of pivotal moments? You know, watching reggae live, and it's it's a funny thing. Like you, you can kind of no, laugh at reggae. You can appreciate it. It's always an experience. Yeah. No. Actually, I saw like uh, we played with Damien Marley. Actually, 
in Oof. a festival in France. Like the, so this was the lineup for the day on our stage. Us, Damien Marley, Diane Wood, Sting. <laughs> and that was it on the main stage. <laughs> I mean. We're like, how the hell do we fit in with this? But, terrific. Like he was incredible. Like, um, it's, it, when someone does it, like, it's, it's ironic that you say white men can't, can't reggae because like a lot of the time I'm like, yeah. Like the, the exposure that I get is most of the time someone with an acoustic guitar and a bongo down at the car park at the rec <laughs> beach in Byron trying to <laughs> sing, sing some Whalers cover song and just, go, and just going just – Shout out to Xavier Ruddy if you're listening. Oh. Touring, touring <laughs> no, Xavier smashes actually. He's like – He's got some jams, but still, it's not my like go-to music. That's the thing, but I do uh, sure. I appreciate. Like when you come from a hippie town, you yep. appreciate it when it's done well because you hear it done bad a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. Very good point. And then, as you got a little older, what's the next thing that kind of you know grabbed you? Um, probably the most formative thing for me was like finding punk rock. So. Yep. That happened in like the teen years, which is when you realize like music is more than just uh, like a video clip on Rage. Like, you know, when you're, when you're younger, you're like, that clip was kind of entertaining and the music itself doesn't really hold anything. It's just kind of this combination of things which are, I don't know, hooking you as a, a child. Whereas sure. around the age of like 12 to 13, all of a sudden punk rocks this thing. Um, and Bad Religion... Friends of Rom and Blink-182 were all the bands that were first to kind of hook me in. Like it was right at the time like Blink were just about to explode with Dude Ranch um, and Frenzel, um, Not So Tough Now was out, which had Punch in the Face on it, which was like I'd never heard adrenaline in music like it. Like it was literally <laughs> like – it was like a punch in the face and I was just like, what the hell is this? The song went for two minutes and I feel like I just want to smash things. <laughs> and you tie that into like your first feelings of teen angst and that was kind of – that was when it when it kind of got me. And then Warp Tour rolled around Australia for the first time and that was seeing it live and going in a mosh pit for the first <clears> time <throat> and like Blink like Blink played, which was nuts. Like saw Pennywise and Blink play to like 200 people and then like two yeah. years later they were the biggest band on the planet mm. and I was like oh I got to see them down at the footy fields that was weird <laughs> yeah so yeah and um Bad Religion were the band that I like that that got me like a year or a couple of years later who had lyrics that weren't just like semi-comedic mm. like it sure. wasn't just anarchy with comedy that was like intelligent like really intelligent lyrics mm. so I was like I've got to get a dictionary to to figure out what Greg's actually saying here, and um, the the idea of there being a message in songs changed everything because then you you go back through everything you that you've listened to in the past and you like you realize that there was it was in the art the whole time. Like you might not have realized it, but there was messages that people were getting across um, that was less than it was it was more than just entertainment. So that was the big kind of trigger for me. And from there, that was the gateway into basically the rest of my life. So, mm -hmm. yeah. With Bad Religion, <laughs> I was just going to say, with 21st Century Digital Boy, you know, that was released yep. in the 90s. And look where we are at now. You know, you're holding your phone. Yep. I'm crouched around. <laughs> I'm holding my phone talking three. to a computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> three screens, microphone, yeah. everything. So this is the same. 
Dear, tell us a, just a bit more about about bad religion and, and sort of picking up a dictionary and, and finding out these things where you're you're literally expanding your mind at a crucial time when you're growing and you've got that angst. You need to put put all this energy somewhere. It was validating in the sense of giving me a feeling that uh, that intelligence and music was allowed because at that yeah. like you're at that crossroads where like I don't know the, when you're trying to figure out your place in everything and I've always. I don't know, I was like a creative person, but at the same point in time, I enjoy writing and I enjoy words, but I'm not necessarily good at writing music. <laughs> so it's a strange thing to be at, to, to be passionate about music, but you can't, you, like up until hardcore came along several years later, I couldn't sing. Like I couldn't actually be in a band. When I did music classes at school, I was completely backwards on instruments. I can't play anything. I can't write music. I've got no idea with this stuff. But the lyricism for Bad Religion really connected with me because it was intelligent. And it was really weird because like that's, it's continued to play out. Like we ended up signing with Epitaph in um, in America, who is Brett Gowitz's from Bad Religion's record label. And he's always been very invested in what we do on an intellectual level. Like it's not just like, yo, I've got these guys who are going to make me some money. It's like we have genuine conversations about anything and everything beyond what this band's next record is going to be and he's always interested in the layers beyond what we do other than just going here's a here's a product which i found incredibly validating when we finally yeah signed with those guys it was a a bit of a trip to go the dude that you looked up to because brett writes like 50 percent of the songs in the first place was um was legit the whole time and, and does care so much about music and you're right to to feel the way you do. There's other people that feel like that. So, yeah, it was a very strange full circle moment with that. You guys signing with Epitaph is, um, that, that did make me think about this idea of artists who are, especially within like the heavier genre as well, like it's on its own, it's such a passionate music genre. You know, I don't know many other genres of music that, um, can replicate a live energy so so well onto a record as with heavy music, period, mm. across the board. And speaking with musicians from that genre over the years, the one thing that really comes across to me every single time is like their, their love for the actual craft of whether it's metal, hardcore, punk, in its arrangement and its um its build up is almost academic like it's almost on that level like you could get very fucking nerdy about it and i love that because that's what i love coming <laughs> from someone who who can't who doesn't have a musical bone technically in her body i love listening to people talking about it when they are in that position for you being able to sign with epitaph and and kind of again connect with people like you said like meeting your idols like that's a daunting thing in itself what did reaching that level of your career um, and being able to have these conversations sort of inform a, to yourself about how you wanted to play music? It was validation to start with. It was more of a validating thing of the sense of when, you, when you're driven by passion and passion alone, which is basically what this band has always run off. Like yeah. we're playing essentially what, like what you described as a pretty technical type of music creation but without the technical knowledge behind it. Like there is, yeah. there's so, there are people who are truly gifted at this type of music in terms of understanding note compositions, 
like scales, tempos. Yeah. Like they, yeah. they literally write this stuff with maths. <laughs> like, yeah. I, we're not yeah. people who know equations for writing this, which is insane. For us, it's none of it. It literally is a connection with how it makes us feel. And we were always driven by the combination of uh, the adrenaline, the melody, um, and for me, the the intellectual side of it, which was either very fantastical or very cathartic or academic in, <laughs> to a degree. So to have someone validate that that is genuine as well, like you don't, there's no rule book for it, but what we're doing still connects was the main thing because the connection has always been, that's the one you, you can, you can know any theory in the world, but if it doesn't connect with the audience, you, none of it gets through. That's the thing. So to not have any idea or like any playbook or any rule book for how to make that happen and just go, no, we write this because we love it. And then it resonates and to have that be your guiding principle and to get all the way to the, like to have, yeah, one of your idols go, yeah, that's, it's pretty much like how we do it. I'm like, yeah. seek other people do this like this too. <laughs> yeah. Rad. Like, then, okay, cool. That, <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's a really good point too because um, I was reading the comments um, on the video for Wild Eyes at Vakken mm. and so many people in the comments, are set, you know, they've all said the similar thing of look at Winston's expression when he can see that the crowd is singing back to him. <laughs> like look yeah. how happy he is and look how pure that is and it's like yeah. if you could distill that and put that on a record, that's like... That's the dream, right? Especially in this sort of genre, and I feel like that yeah. that comes across so so well um, in heavy music, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think it does, and I think that's why it is unique in this. Like the idea is literally to to keep as much of the rough edges on as possible, to yeah. whatever degree. Like the amount of the amount of rough edges, because the rough edges is when you realise it's it's personal. That's the thing. You shave the rough edges yeah. off, and you become a mannequin. <laughs> Mannequin, <laughs> mannequins are smooth like and we they ain't are. <laughs> yeah excellent so punk rock and then when when did metal sink its uh vampire teeth into you yeah i became a vampire in the early 2000s <laughs> <laughs> it it was a it was a, a a progression from punk rock to like hardcore punk rock which became the the like the adrenaline just kept getting more and more charged. Basically, you become desensitized to like it's just fast. You're like it's fast, but also now it sounds like it wants to like it's a beast in a cage that can like do damage. <laughs> and then once you get once you become desensitized to that, your ear starts picking up other things. And the metal part of it came out of interest, basically. Um, and it was bands. Uh, Jeff always loved Metallica, but for me, it was like. It was bands within like what would be considered metal metalcore later on, um, which were like Bleeding Through and Unearth and bands who were very similar to what we were doing, but were like a year or so ahead of us. Um, and what they were doing were bringing in these technical aspects of metal, like a lot of the playing, which is really intricate um, in terms of the guitar melodies and everything like that, but coupling it with this like that beast in the cage feeling of hardcore. And it was that thing of like, that sounds unplayable to my ears. I've got no idea how they make this. Let's try and make this. 
that's where like metal kind of took off for me from there. It would just kind of, it's been a, like a slide into, I guess, just understanding metal in general. And over the, the years of this band's existence, it was kind of like a reverse orientation process where like we're playing essentially metal music, but like, no, 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 we're a hardcore band. And we'd play with other hardcore bands and we didn't quite understand metal, metal like actual metal. And it took us a long time to actually be saturated in it to the point of seeing um, the intricacies of what is a massive, massive genre um, to the point these days where like, yeah, it's, it's tipped completely the other way because the expanse of music in these darker realms of, of music is amazing for me. And I really like the abrasive sounds and the the where it can take the emotional. It's it, There's almost like anti-ballads and and you know how you you get those wonderful songs um of of mainstream culture be it like uh, pieces create like classical pieces or pop pieces or folk pieces or anything created that makes you feel really warm and fuzzy and is simple but soft and indescribably like beautiful you have the opposite given to you in this realm where it's so ominous and so dark but taps into something really really primal yeah. in that other side of our human character which i find really really fascinating um and diving down that rabbit hole um is a really really interesting one and it's kind of bottomless to be honest because when you start you're dealing with um when you're talking on a psychological level these are all the things we're told to try and try and avoid like feeling <laughs> so yeah um when you do like adventure down there, it's uh yeah, it's, I, I found it to be really like cathartic. That's where the catharsis comes from. You allow yourself to you let listen to something which evokes these feelings and brings out these feelings which you probably try and avoid most of the time. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the best description of it. Um, to talk about catharsis, something I'm always interested in. I spoke to Samuel T. Herring from Future Islands about this. And I sort of said to him, is there, is there such thing as too much catharsis? And it really kind of snooked him and he kind of was really, you know, sort of, it sort of melted his brain a little bit. I don't know, you've spoken a lot about survivor's guilt and things you've been through. You've been through a, yeah. lot, a lot of losses as a human as well, Winston, you know, with people around you and family and friends, et cetera, passing. Um, so when you're on stage and you're getting everything off your chest and you're having this catharsis, are there ever, ever points where you're kind of like, fuck, I've left too much out on the court? <laughs> Oh, not in the sense of like, I've given people too much, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. or I shouldn't have said that because it's, um, it's when you, when you're playing live, it's, it's, it's walking this line of performance for performance's sake and, and you getting across a visual, like for, for me, a, a visual interpretation of what the song and the music means like the two things are tied together, but at the same point, um, what has inspired the music is like, it makes you feel it does. It makes you feel. And I, 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 I have these moments where like I'm switched off from what the crowd is and it's really internalized and it's making me perform in a certain way. Then there's moments where I'm very aware of what the crowd is seeing and what I designed in my head, the world that I want to take them to for this p piece of music. And it comes less from like all of a sudden they're seeing less into me and they're seeing the reflection and it's 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 kind of like here's everything else rather than 
the fuck is that guy going through? Yeah. And the thing that it's always just a balancing act for me with that. And it's less about like, I want to, I'm, I'm too, I don't want to show them too much or like it's, it's gone too far. It's more just about knowing, I guess, knowing the feeling because I guess I don't think I've ever reached a point on stage where it's like, it's gone too far because it gets to the end of the song and it's achieved what it was meant to achieve. And then the next song is its own entity in itself and it sure. taps into something different. And sometimes it's a lot more existential in terms of like the concept of that song. And it's, it's, it's not as like internalized in, yeah, in its, in its core. So, yeah. It's funny in that, in that genre for me, seeing Dillinger escape plan really did something. Oh, especially dude, yeah. After hearing Mike Patton's sing on, on their, on their EP. And then I saw them live yeah. and within the first song, the guitarist was in the first. Breaks like, his knees. Bars. Yeah, he's, he's on to, he's in the crowd. Yeah. What's, what's your sort of big metal core moment slash, you know, really sort of a fast metal moment? Oh, man. So, so the biggest one of the, the best metal show that I've ever seen has been, no, this is probably just in general, was watching, um, Ramstein play Download 2017, I think it was, which is absolutely huge. But I was not a massive Ramstein fan before this and they headlined download festival there was like 80,000 people there if you've if you know what they're about you'd know that it's the wildest show you have ever fucking seen <laughs> but we watched we watched a german speaking band singing 99% german to an english crowd this headlining set of like they're they're incredibly like it's comedic but at the same point in time it's it's very, it's, it's serious and it's confronting and it's really dark, but you know, I don't speak German, so I don't have a connection with it beyond what they're giving me. It hit so hard. It was absolutely incredible because it, it took you through the whole gamut of emotions the entire time. The feast of visuals was absolutely incredible. But it was the thing that walked the line for me of realizing like not only how much emotion can, can be conveyed through the music, even when like people are like, it's metal, I can't understand what he's singing. I'm like, well, Till's actually singing and I still can't understand what the fuck he's singing, yeah. but it still makes me feel. <laughs> and it's making 80,000 people here feel something. And there's like 100 foot high like pyrobursts that are going off, which are singeing my skin and terrifying me. Yeah. But the next minute he's riding a giant dick and I'm yeah. laughing my ass off. And it had Just that thing of like... Yeah, and I was like, "This is like this is everything. This is like it's okay to 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 have fun, and it's okay to put depth and emotion in your music, and it's okay for people not to understand you, and it's okay to put on a show which like will make people go, holy fuck." And yeah. that was that was the point in time for me. I think for the rest of the band as well, where we we're like. There's a lot to this that we haven't considered in terms of the potential of what we can do with our art if we put our minds to it. And the entire scope of what we what we wanted to do was kind of the doors were kind of blown off. So that was kind of one of the big revolutions in where we would go as a band and why we would actually go there. And that's why like everything that we do has never been about just like, we're big now, better put some pyro on the stage. Give me four flames that go. <laughs> like it's always gone. It's always gone deeper than that because we literally got to watch the masters do it and feel firsthand why they do what they do and the effect it can have. And it's not like we're trying to mm. replicate it, but, 
being able mm. to understand the effect that things can have when you couple extra like elements that you haven't considered and you put that in into a context that goes with your music, why that heightens. It's just another, like you have cover art for a reason. You want to evoke a, a, a feeling in someone. And when you get on stage, we want to invoke a feeling in someone and adding extra totally. things like makes it hit. So yeah, yeah. Ramstein, cheers. Love you. <laughs> and have you met tell us about meeting uh meeting any of your heroes and along the way to be honest i haven't had many heroes in my life to be honest and that's i don't i don't know if that's a weird thing to say but um the th- no. the thing it's not okay good sweet i mean it's a little weird but it's, it's good weird yeah <laughs> i don't think so like the thing it's is for me I've, I've always just seen people as as people, people and i appreciate what they do but I've I've never been someone that's gravitated towards celebrity or anything in any way, and the the big thing was for me was going back to yeah with meeting Brett from Bad Religion, and that was the the thing, and that broke down like any barrier of it just kind of reaffirmed that heroes are just people things for me because like when totally. you when you when you signed to Epitaph and then and they they were the band that you always grew up listening to and you still love. And you rock up at your show and someone's like, your Brett's actually going to come down to the show. And you're like, fuck off. The, like, the, the head of the label is not coming down. And he just comes and chills out in the car park and we eat some pizza and talk about shit. And he's like, yo, you want to come and listen to some Bad Religion demos at my place? I'm interested in getting your feedback because I know your fans. You're like, uh... I, guess we're, I guess we're mates now. <laughs> and, you, and, and, and that's literally what it was. Like it's never been, there's never yeah. been, it was that thing of like the, the hero thing was just kind of shattered. And it was totally. just people are people with passion and with drive and, and that's it. And it was, again, it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't, I don't have to fall into a puddled mess whenever I see anyone. So I've seen plenty of people who are famous, but at the same point in time, it, it kind of just looks, I'm like, you're that person that did that thing and I know you from somewhere. I really don't yeah. want to go up and bother you because it seems like there's a lot of people bothering you and I don't really know you, so why would I talk to you yeah. anyway? <laughs> would, I do, would, would I do that to anybody? Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. So, yeah, it's strange. Yeah. I'm kind of like, it makes me really, I don't know. I don't know if it's awkward with people because I know that people see me in that way. Not mean yeah. to sound like a wanker. I just know there's no, a no. lot of people do, and people though. have told they me do, that. No, 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 no disclaimer. That's the Aussie thing. That's, that's the, you, t- you tall poppy yourself. It's so hard, isn't it though? Like we, yeah, just, yeah. Intrinsically, <laughs> that's, that's what we're like. Yeah, but it's, it, it, it must be, I, I've been told it's a bit weird to meet me because I'm I literally just they're like, Wait, you're just a normal person. I'm like, Aren't we all? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Were you expecting me to scream in your face or something? But <laughs> Do you want a selfie? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that that is yeah, that's that that's super interesting because I, I remember I remember um just talking about good things again. I, I remember seeing you doing the press rounds in Melbourne. And between the way people were reacting when you walked in the room was the same way that people reacted when like Mark Hoppus walked in the room. Almost, oh, really? you know what I mean? But like, because people were just people were kind of like, "That's him." Yeah, really. Like we're we're not we're not overstep. Like I'm not going to overstep because it's That's Winston strange. and his 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 time's probably pretty precious. But I distinctly remember kind of looking around and people were kind of like, "Oh, did you did you did you see Winston walk in?" Did, did you, no did way. You, oh, that's a trip. See, I don't um, know that. And it was the same thing I'm, with I'm, Mark. 
I'm so oblivious. Like it, it, it happens or it did before COVID, but like my wife will see it, but I won't. She'll be like, those people behind us, they fully know who you are. And I think they really want to talk to you. And I'm like, where? Like, what? I can't say. I don't know. I'm just, I, because I don't, I just don't notice that in the first place. But, uh, but, but that's, you know, that's a good way to be. That's a good way to be, though. I, I, I guess. Head, like the yeah. thing is, it makes that's me a good happy. Way to be programmed. I'm more than happy to. I'm happy to talk to talk to people. That's the thing. It's just always been a. I guess yeah, it, that's always been the thing for me. And meeting Brett was like, it's like yo, you're just like that too. That's rad. <laughs> and we just became best friends. Yeah, and then we were <laughs> friends. <laughs> <laughs> we had um, Paul Dempsey on a few weeks ago, Winston, and he was saying with David Bowie, because they toured with David Bowie, something for Kate, and David Bowie has a magic trick. Basically, you were talking to David Bowie. He's just got a baseball cap on. He's right next to you. He's really personable. And at no stage do you think, I'm talking to David Bowie. It's a real amazing knack that, you know, he just sort of had that thing. But they were also Disarming. told before the show, David goes into David Bowie mode. So you can't. Go, don't go talk to David because once he's just, just before the show, he's in that character. Um, yeah, really cool. Yeah, yep. it's just really, really good insight. Yeah, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that a lot, like that because that's the thing. Like, it depends what kind of a performer you, performer you are, and obviously, he was a fucking performer. That's the thing. Totally. And there's definitely people mm-hmm. who are like mm-hmm. the character is on, and there's a level. Like, I have a level of character as well, but it's not something where like. Okay, if you come up to me, I've had people like before we were doing the walk on through the crowds and stuff like we did in the last tour. Um, we'd, we'd like we'd we'd be out in the crowd like two minutes before we play, and someone would be like, "Hey, yeah, I like you. You're like, can I take a photo?" I'm like, 20 seconds. I've kind of got to be walking through the crowd and be yeah. screaming, so I kind of need to vibe out a little <laughs> bit now. But real sorry, sorry, brother. But, but yeah, so it's like maybe 20 seconds of that for me. But yeah, like yeah. I, I know that exact thing. People is like, don't look them in the eye when they're coming on stage. The characters, the char- they're in character now. You can't break it. And like, yeah, it's a weird one. <laughs> Very cool. Last question: What's the song that hit different? For you in the last week. For me, it's Call Me Back by Tim oh, Scheel. Absolute slammer. It's going to be a post-COVID, post-lockdown emancipation jam. Call Me Back. It's a real house house hit. You'll get it. Don't you worry. It'll come. Okay. Um. So, so, so the last week, I've only been jamming one record, and it's a band called Unto Others, and the album's called Strength. So this band, like I only just started listening to them, but they sound like Metallica meets Danzig meets The Smiths. Yeah, what's the other name I'm trying to bring to my head? I can't remember. Yeah, there's so many there's so many elements with this band that you li- that you listen to, and it's it's like super goth with not like with just a hint of metal in the way it's played, but then a whole bunch of throwbacks to like. 70s rock which is really interesting <laughs> and um the, the the entire album's really really good like every song is a complete and utter like goth anthem <laughs> the song's probably the song that i slam my fist to and sing along to is called when will god's work be done and it's like it's literally got a chorus that says like you go who who <laughs> like that's the chorus and then just like when will god's work be done and it's like you can't help but just go they literally wrote a song that tells me the noise I need to make at this point. <laughs> so when you're riding, when you're driving along in your car, you're like, "Yeah, go!" Hoo, hoo, and it's um, it's it's really really good. Like it's a 
the, the, I'd recommend the entire album for anyone that likes rock or metal because it straddles it really, really well. And the melodies are absolutely incredible. But when will God's work be done? You can't, you can't not sing along to it literally by the second chorus. And that's when you know it's a banger. If you you're like, if the second chorus in the song, you can sing it, you know, it's a banger. And I'm like, yeah, goth bangers. I need these okay. in my summer life. <laughs> Something for straight after this podcast. How about you, Sos, to, to, uh, to take us out? What's the song you've been doing it for you? The latest bullet for my Valentine stuff, actually. That song, Shatter, no, actually, between Shatter and Knives, that, that those two tracks have been on like high rotation for me. Ooh. I don't know why I can work so well to that new bullet collection. <laughs> don't ask me why. It's just, it's been my jam. I've been oscillating between like new bullet and old placebo. Over like the last oh. two weeks, it's That's been good. a trip. That's all right. You don't want to. You don't want to be inside my brain there. right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely go run the new stuff up from them. They're great. Yeah, they're doing good. Hot damn, friends! We have had Winston McCall from Parkway Drive joining us. Six studio albums, another album in the works, two DVDs, a friggin' book, two Aria wins, latest <sighs> landmark project, Viva the Underdogs a documentary. World Tour announcement, soundtrack release, they're playing night and day. If you can get along to Cryo Castle if you're able to, I reckon, I don't know, hitch a ride, swim, however you can get to Victoria at that stage <laughs> for New Year's Eve. Just come do it. Maybe just come in jousting, just straight away, just, just like roll Oh, no, in. word is we're flying in on Dragon. <laughs> yes. 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 Just like Lovely fly over avatar. the castle walls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's where your that's where your pyro budget's coming into it this year. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm busy Beautiful. half welding a dragon out in the back shed at the moment. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> so sick. <laughs> Flame emojis all around. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Winston. Really appreciate your your Thanks, intel Winston. and your recollections of everything you've brought to the Fucking table. Great hang. Uh, thank you, hit different listeners. We're gonna rock out, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Take care of each other. Stay connected. Stay posy. We're gonna get out of this thing soon. Okay. <laughs> Big love. Peace. Peace.